When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. We're back for Pitt football. It's Panthers Pathway. After the bye week, the Panthers are at home, Ackershire Stadium, to take on the Louisville Cardinals, the undefeated Louisville Cardinals, here on the Pitt Talk Network, part of the Fan First Sports Network. I'm Austin Bechtel. Pleased to be joined by Stephen Thompson of Sports Illustrated, covers the Panthers, inside the Panthers. Stephen, what's going on, man? Not much, not much. Really excited for for this game, excited to see Pitt back on the field and it's the first time a real, like, you know, big-time opponent is visiting uh, visiting Pittsburgh this year, so I'm excited for it. Yes, yeah, 6.30 matchup. Christian Veyer. That's right. Pronunciation. Remember, conveyor belt, Pitt fans, if that's the way that you want to go about it. He will get to start, as Phil Dracovic is the backup quarterback. Doesn't seem like he's a tight end. Maybe not the third-string quarterback. That's a whole different story. What do you want to see from Vayer, what do you expect to see from him? Somebody who has a c- confliction with his dad on how to correctly pronounce his last name. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the first thing we want to see. We want a very definitive answer on the uh, on the pronunciation of the last name. Uh, Christian told us one thing; his dad said another thing. But um, you know, we'll be dealing with Christian a little bit more, so I'm going to defer to his pronunciation. As for what you know, you want to see on the field, I think you just want to see some good decision making. Um, I think. Christian just compared to Phil maybe has a little bit of a smoother arm. I don't know about necessarily better, but he clearly has some arm talent. He can throw a tight spiral. Um, but I think more than anything, you just want to see him make the right choices, you know, throw to the open guys, not try to take too many risks. Uh, if you saw him in that second half of the North Carolina game, he had three turnovers. Two of them were bad interceptions. I thought just bad decisions. And then a fumbled handoff that uh, didn't look too great either. So I think you just want to see him take care of the ball. Uh, get the ball to his playmakers and, uh, you know, not kind of overthink things. And you, and you want to see the offensive, uh, you know, offensive line, running backs, receivers, everyone kind of try to make things easy on him. Uh, offensive coordinator as well, set up some easy throws for him to really get him settled. And then maybe as the game progresses, you see where you are and maybe you can start to challenge him a little bit more, maybe take some shots downfield. But I think to start off, you just want to see him, you know, have a command of the offense and, and take care of the ball and not, put this team in a hole can't say it's surprising with the bye week last week that this is the time to instill them in you know you're five games in why not at this point because nobody really expected Pitt to be one and four I know I didn't I know you didn't this is pretty much at this point in time playing for 2024 you got Notre Dame Florida State two of the top 10 teams well Notre Dame was a top 10 team until these Louisville Cardinals knocked them off to the point where you're facing 14th ranked Louisville, top five team in Florida State, Notre Dame, who's ranked Duke. We'll see if they're ranked at the end of the year, but also Syracuse at Yankee Stadium. There's going to be a lot thrown at Bayer's on Bayer's plate. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I I do think this is a little bit of a look towards the future and they are kind of considering where they're at. Just given that Phil is going to be gone next year, um, you're not they're looking to kind of develop. Christian a little bit, get him some more experience and kind of learn what they have. But, you know, I think also before he, before he was installed as the starter, 
I kind of approached it as this wouldn't even be that big of a downgrade. I think when you switch quarterbacks to go from a sixth year, a, a graduate transfer to a redshirt sophomore, I believe uh, Christian is, you kind of assume there's going to be a big step back in play. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case here. I don't think, I don't think things are going to get a whole lot better, uh, but I don't think that this is a huge step back either. So I think they're kind of going to be able to have their cake and eat it too. Um, you won't, you will get a look at the future, but you also won't kind of have to sacrifice whatever your plans may be in the immediate future. Um, Cause I don't think, you know, if it makes sense, I don't think you are sacrificing a whole lot going from Phil to, to Christian. Um, you're kind of, I, I think at the very least going to get the same level of quarterback play. Um, if not, you know, maybe a little bit better. I don't think Christian's going to be any worse than, than Phil was during those first five weeks of the season. So, you know, it's, it is a look towards the future, but I also don't think it's completely punting on 2023. I think they still have some talent on this team that can maybe pull out a few wins. And in, in college football, it's not like the NFL where you can tank and, and get a good draft pick next year. Like there's purpose to winning every game that you possibly can. So uh, I, I think this kind of cuts both ways where you can, you can get a look at the future, but also maybe give yourself a spark in the immediate, in the immediate future. Yeah, Caleb Williams might be walking into the door at the Arizona Cardinals <laughs> or the Chicago Bears, but if Pitt goes 1-11, it's not going to happen here. Do you think that Frank Signetti will open up the playbook for Vayer, or will he? Will they try to take it slow, ease him into it? Will they take shots, be aggressive? Maybe not so much chuck it up 35 yards, <laughs> 40 yards down the field, you know, just to, just to do it, just to throw it, but try to get him comfortable and be aggressive at the same time. Um, I think they're going to defer to maybe a little bit more of a conservative game plan. I think with Phil, they were they were at the point where they're like where they were a little bit like you know, hey, let's chuck it and see what happens. You know, like let's try to make something happen uh, in the passing game. You know, not necessarily throw to covered guys, but uh, I don't think that was necessarily the play call. But uh, I, I do think they were a little bit more comfortable with an experienced guy having those options to take those shots. I think with Christian, they are definitely going to try to ease him in a little bit. Um, I think that's what everyone would do with a guy making his first career career start. Um, so I expect him to at least start a little a little conservative, if not, uh, you know, kind of uh, build towards something bigger. And then I think you also have to look at, you know, where they're at at halftime or at the end of the first quarter. You know, if you're if you're down ten or fourteen, yeah, you're gonna have to start opening things up. You're, start, you're gonna have to start taking some shots down downfield a little bit more. But I think for as long as they can. They are going to try to rely on the run game. They're going to try to get him some easy throws uh, to receivers in the flats and in short range situations. Um, and then, you know, this offense also talks all the time about taking what the defense gives them. So I think it'll be interesting to see how Louisville approaches this and how they kind of defend against Vayer. Um, There's not a whole lot of tape on him. Uh, all you've kind of seen is him kind of get thrown into the second half of a game against the top 20 opponent and look a little overwhelmed. So. I'm interested to see how they defend him and then what they what Pitt is able to kind of do off of that. And, you know, whether they try to, cause the other thing is, I mean, they've uh, integrated Kenny Johnson in the starting lineup for the first time. They did that last week. He took kind of the first snaps as that third receiver, but officially on the depth chart this week, he was named a starter. So I wonder how they try to get Kenny involved as well and try to get that youth movement moving. Um, so it, it, it will depend on the game situation a little bit, but I think, you know, those first couple of drives at the very least in that first quarter, they will try to make things easy on Christian and, and let him get his feet wet before they start making him 
uh, you know, relying on him to maybe win the game or something like that. I'll hold my breath and say it'll be like uh, Kenny Pickett in the Steelers uh, last season when he was first thrown into the fire, and now maybe a little yeah. bit more so now. But you would think the running game, and also something that just continues to baffle me every time I watch a pick game, the lack of explosive plays, but the lack of targets for Gavin Bartholomew. It seems like he's the leading receiver every time that the Panthers are out there on the field, but he only has like two catches, two, three yeah. grabs. Yeah, he he – I think he, uh, I think Chris Peaks uh, from Panther said this the other day. Uh, he leads the Power Five in yards per reception. I'm pretty sure that I'm. Don't quote me on that, but I think that is the stat. I, I, but you're exactly spot on. It's feels like a 40 yard catch every time he touches the ball. Um, you know, I don't have all 11 film in front of me. I can't tell you. You know, are they are teams double teaming Gavin? Are they just not finding him? Um, it was. It's something that goes back all the way to last year and. It is something that we have talked to the coaches about, you know, trying to find Gavin some more touches. And they said that they're looking, they're working on it, trying to get him more involved in the game. But, you know, he's not the only one, quite honestly. Like, it's it's Gavin. It's guys like Kenny Johnson. It's Kanate Mumfield. Yeah. It's, you know, there aren't any of these playmakers that, that we thought were going to be huge factors this season that have, I think gotten their proper, uh, you know, proper touches, proper amount of 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 work in this offense because I think there still is a ton of talent here, not just in Gavin, like I said, but a bunch of their other pass catchers and weapons. So it is a little baffling. I agree with you, and I just I wonder if Gavin is going to kind of become an increasingly big safety net or safety valve for a guy like Christian who's just looking for a big body to to put a ball on, you know, a big target. Um, so. We'll see. I mean, this it could also, you know, just kind of have been a chemistry thing with Gavin and the past two quarterbacks he had. Who knows? Um, but I, I do kind of expect that to change a little bit because, like, like it's big plays every time he touches the ball. Even if you get it to him in space, like we've seen him do that. Like it's get him the ball in short range situations and just let him run because he's a really good athlete too when the ball's in his hands. Right, athletes out in space, and you know maybe it's a combination of the calls, the players, kind of just everything in between now looking on the defensive side of the ball there have also been things that you want to see Pitt just do better at I understand when you're playing against Drake May who's probably going to be the number two pick in the draft it's hard to be able to slow that guy down especially to stop him and shut him down which you're just not going to be able to do but the the defense did okay in the West Virginia game the offense didn't put him in great positions looking back on the first five games of the year what do you think needs to be the biggest point of emphasis coming out of the bye? Yeah, it's stopping the run, I think. Um, it, it's it's. I think they can kind of achieve that pretty simply. They were horrendous tackling against Virginia Tech. Um, I think they had 26 missed tackles. That's from pro football focus. Um, they just weren't like wrapping up. You know, they were diving at ankles um, instead of trying to put their body on someone, put their pads on someone and really wrap up. Um so I think that's something that they have talked about working on uh, over the bye week. Uh, but, you know, you can only hit so much yeah. when it's in a practice on a practice field against your own opponent, against your own teammates in the middle of the season when you might be banged up a little bit. But they've just really got to be more physical. Um, I, I don't think that this is all mental or, as, as Pat Narduzzi would put it, structural. I think they are in the right places to make these plays against the run game. But they are just not wrapping up, not making these tackles. And – that is a point of, you know, stopping the run is a point of pride. It's a it's a key thing for all of Pat Narduzzi's defenses is that you've got to be able to stop the run first before you can kind of do anything else, before 
secondary and the linebackers can involved. You can start, you know, wreaking a little bit of havoc in the backfield, things like that. But teams have just been way too comfortable running on them uh, to to make any part any of the other parts of the defense work. You know, it's it, when you think about how Pitt plays defense, stopping the run is the first thing that you need to do. It, it, it all kind of builds off of being able to keep the teams from from running on you and. The Panthers have just been a little bit soft in that area so far this season against, against you know, I mean, West Virginia can run the ball, Virginia Tech can run the ball, but, you know, even Cincinnati, who does not have a spectacular offense we're speaking of, was able to run for, I think, north of 200 yards on this team. That that just can't happen. And it's a big test this week because Jawar Jordan has earned Israel Banacanda comparisons. Uh, he's the tailback from Louisville. He's got great speed and, Louisville is going to really make you pay. You're going to be able to tell if Pitt can't wrap up. Uh, Louisville is going to be ripping off 20 yard, 15, 20, 25 yard or more runs all night long. So it'll be it'll be obvious right away if Pitt hasn't solved their tackling issues. Now, how much you know? Narduzzi is usually a guy that'll tell you how it is. I know this year is maybe a little bit different because of the struggles and everything like mm-hmm. that, and the questions get a lot more difficult. How much accountability should he have for this team? And especially on the defensive side of the ball, because he kind of pushed everything towards, oh, Frank Signetti made the decision to bench Phil Dracovic and kind of made it sound like Signetti makes all the decisions on the offensive side and Narduzzi just kind of sticks to the defensive end. Or is it partly because there's so many guys that have transitioned, whether it be to the NFL or off the team through graduation, where a lot of these guys just don't have the reps that they need? Yeah, I, I think that that could be part of it, but I think you are also six game or five games season. You know, like there should be, you know that that Cincinnati game that might have explained some of it, and maybe even West Virginia. But I, like you said, I thought they played well against West Virginia. I think how many points did West Virginia score in that game? Seventeen. I think ten yeah. were almost directly attributable to Phil Jakovic interceptions. Like I, I think they scored ten points off of like four plays and. 13 yards or something like that. Uh, that. That was all it took because, you know, the offense put them in bad field position. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so I, I think the interesting thing is that we talked about at the beginning of the year, Pat Narduzzi kind of brought up a little bit unprompted about how much better the talent level on this team was than when he first arrived. And man, if the talent level is so much better in 2023 or even 2022, you think about a full season last year versus 2015, they went, Eight and five in 2015. They went nine and four in 2022. So if the talent level is vastly better, you know, eight years later than it was uh, when he first started, and your only improvement is one game, that's not a great. That doesn't reflect very well on the coaching. Um, and I understand, you know, losing so much talent to the NFL and 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 all the guys they lost last off season, but I don't know. The expectations were higher and. I think while I think there is a future and I think there is talent still on this team, it it is young, but th- there are some old guys as well. I mean, a graduate transfer quarterback, you've got two uh, super senior defensive linemen. Uh, you've got juniors, I believe, it starting at defensive end. You've got you know a junior transfer at, at your the back end of your secondary is a little is a little young and inexperienced, but you've got three veteran corners who are supposed to be some of the best in the league and just haven't lived up to that billing so far. Um, your receivers are juniors are juniors are older. Like all your pass catchers are. You got Rodney Hammond. You I think the only place where you can kind of give him some leeway is at safety and then along the offensive line where they've had tons of injuries as well. But 
it, a lot of it does fall on Narduzzi. And I think it, it comes back to a lot of things, just uh, the stubbornness with the quarterback change, um, the, you know, kind of the, the poor tackling, like you've seen over the past few weeks, you know, before the bye, I think that all kind of, when the problems are kind of this comprehensive, because, you know, we've focused a lot on, you know, the quarterback and the offense, but the defense hasn't been, you know, perfect either. I think when the problems are this wide reaching, it always can trickle back up to the head coach and, and his decisions because he, for better or worse, controls every part of this program. So when you want to deal out blame, it's real easy to start at the top. Yeah, you had a great tweet about that a couple of weeks ago that just came to mind as soon as you said that, where, you know, it's on the it's on the coaching. If the talent level is at that point, right. and it is very easy to blame coaching. Mm-hmm. It has happened in this city so much with Matt Canada, fingers pointing, chanting at the Penguin game, where that's the easiest thing to do is blame the coaches. But players have also admitted yeah, we have to be accountable as well, and we have to execute. We have to execute the plays. I think it's hard because you can use both examples for the Steelers and for Pitt. You cover both. From a Pitt perspective, but also from a Steelers perspective, how much is it true on both ends, and where's the fine line there? How do you balance that? Well, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, blame is not something finite. You know, accountability is not finite, so you can – say that these two things are both problems. Um, But, you know, thinking about it from, uh, I think I kind of have a similar opinion about both Pitt and the Steelers. And it's that this has fallen more on execution than, than on the coaching, quite honestly. Um, There have been moments where, you know, the play calling, especially on offense, hasn't been stellar. And you've had questions about that, but there've been more times where I see, you know, quarterbacks missing open receivers, receivers, uh, dropping, uh, dropping balls, quarterbacks making poor decisions to throw into, into multiple, multiple coverage. Um, you know, not being able to run the ball behind an offensive line that's supposed to be better and improved from a year ago. Um, playmakers not getting involved, you know, the poor tackling thing that if you go over to the defensive side of things that I, that I highlighted, you know, it's, I think in college you're able to attribute more of that directly to coaching because I think you have a bigger role in developing players as a college coach than as an NFL guy. So it all kind of trickles a little bit more back to coaching on the college side of things. But I think we can, it can kind of cut both ways where, yeah, the coaching can be better, but the players got it can be, can be better too. I mean, this is one in 14 with their lone win coming against an FCS opponent. Like when it's this bad, there's a lot of blame to go around. So I don't think you need to limit yourself if you're trying to figure out who is really, you know, quote unquote, the problem. Like there are lots of problems. And I think if you, if you kind of talk yourself into the idea that there's a silver bullet and that, you know, if you, you fire one guy, you make one change, everything's going to be okay. And and Pitt's going to start to live up to the expectations that we had for them during the preseason. You're, you're deluding yourself a little bit because the problems are wide reaching and, It'll take a lot more than just one change to get them back on track. Four-game losing streak for Pitt. Cincinnati, West Virginia, North Carolina, as well as Virginia Tech. Boo City, Phil Dracovic tight end rumors, as well as now the blue vase. What has been the weirdest? I I can't recall a Pitt season ever being as odd with so many storylines off the field, on and off the field, there is just 
being in the whirlwind of all this, what is it like? There's just so many odd things this year. Yeah, it's it is definitely really weird. Um, it, it is one of the goofiest, I guess, pit seasons. That's the only word that comes to mind. Goofiest pit seasons that, and this is so I, you know, about last year was my first year covering pit football full time, and I just you always kind of hear about these little these goofy little college football things. You know, it's a it's a big sport. There's a lot of diversity and and weird stuff happens all the time. It is so much different being in the thick of it. Than kind of, uh, than kind of getting to observe from afar, uh, and it's just, I don't know. I, I was walking out of the facility yesterday. We, uh, you know, Pat Narduzzi explained the blue vase thing to, which I, in my opinion, the blue vase thing is probably the silliest of all these. Um, it was just a, you know, the, the end of this week has been a little weird. Um, but we were walking out of that, out of that press conference after we talked about the vase, and I'm just like, wow, there have been it's been six weeks we're halfway through the season and there have been about 4 million different things that like 4 million different weird storylines. Like we thought it was just going to be all about football, but all about what's happening on the football field. But no, we, we have unwittingly expanded ourselves into this weird and like the, the fact that the blue vase became all corners of the country, all corners of college football touched on, on that blue vase, man. It is. And and the thing and the weird thing is is I don't think any of this stuff like, I mean obviously Phil Jerkovic to tight end that stuff doesn't come out if they're you know even three and two or two and three or something you know the Blue Vase is not a thing if they are if they have a winning record at all like it's just funny how one and four has exp- has kind of spiraled and expanded and and made all of these other weird goofy eccentric storylines possible. Um, it's been. Yeah, it's been a weird year. It's been so I, I hope the second half is a little bit a little bit more low key because it's just been it's just been weird. It's just been really weird. That's the only way I can describe it. Any prediction on what could be next? I I don't really want to tempt fate. <laughs> you know, I just I'm just hoping for at least one more one noon game this year. That's that's all I'm I'm hoping for. I don't know if you're gonna get it, man. I really hope you do. I know. I know. I, I don't think we will either. I just don't, I, you know, college football doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Because because this happened last year, too. Pitt had a million night games. Mm. And I was like, man, they, they were in the middle of that that losing streak in October. And I was like, wow, I didn't. This is like the opposite of the NFL, where the worse you are, the more primetime games you get. You know, the worse you're playing. Apparently, the more people want to put you on the night games. Yeah, because they want to put the best games at big noon kickoff. Yeah, there we go. That makes plenty yeah. of sense. Instead of making yeah. that a night game in primetime. Yeah. So who should Pitt fans be looking out for on the Louisville side? Because after the win against Notre Dame, a lot of these guys have jumped off the page and became not just guys, but people who are recognizable. Jack Plummer at quarterback for Louisville, solid game, 17-24 against the Fighting Irish with a touchdown, protected the ball as well. You talked about Jordan at running back, two touchdowns in that game as well. How about seven yards per carry for him as well? And Jamari Thrash, at wide receiver, eight grabs for 75 yards and a touchdown. Are those some of the guys that you're keeping out for? Who else might there be? Yeah, absolutely. Those are the big three. That kind of that offensive trio, Plummer, uh, Thrash, and Jordan. Just tons of speed. A veteran quarterback who takes care of the ball. He knows how to get the ball to playmakers. And they've got a good offensive line that off- opens hole for opens holes for for Jordan. I, I mentioned Jordan has earned some some kind of Israel Abanaganda comparisons. Um he's not as big. He's only five ten. 
think 185 Izzy was closer to 200 pounds and a little bit taller. Uh, he had some more power, and I think Izzy was able to fight through some tackles in a way that Jordan might not be able to. Jordan just finds holes and, t- and makes the most of them um, with his speed. Uh, Thrash, is, Thrash is another guy who uses his speed very well. That'll be a big test for uh, you know MJ Devonshire, Marquez Williams, those guys in the back end. And then I want to see some more pressure on on Jack Plummer. Well, let's see how he does against you know, against, uh, you know, Deion Hayes rushing the passer. Maybe DeAndre Jules can get in the backfield. Um, who knows if Bengali Kamara is going to play this week, uh, but we'll see if he's back in the lineup and able to affect the quarterback a little bit. Um, so, you know, we'll see that offensive line get get tested and see that see that pit defense have a chance to really create some havoc. But, uh, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, they've got some good pass rushers. Ashton Guillette, I believe that's how it's pronounced. Uh, Des Tell. Stefan Heron, um, a lot of guys who help lead a, a really furious pass rush. Talking to offensive line coach Dave Borbley this week, he he said they don't just have one good pass rusher; they have about six, um, which will be a lot to a lot to handle. Guillet is is the guy that you really got to look out for. The defensive end number nine, he's got six and a half sacks in six games, which is pretty ridiculous. Um, so. Those are really the guys that I'm looking out for. Um, I, I think the strength of this defense, particularly, you know, we talked about the speed on offense, but on defense, uh, it's really the pass rush that that really carries the load for them and helps them create a bunch of turnovers like uh, like they have early on in the season. Yeah, they picked off Sam Hartman three times, forced a fumble. It was critical to being able to pull off the upset and what ended up being a lot more of a lopsided game than many people mm-hmm. would have thought. Jack Harlow was there celebrating in Louisville. How about that? Mm-hmm. That was one of my main takeaways. I had no idea that Jack Harlow was from Louisville until then. I figured yeah. he was partying it up in South Beach with Tyler Hero. Maybe he was from the Florida area, but I digress. No, yeah, he he's uh he's gone to like Louisville basketball games too. That guy's all about all about the Cardinals. He's yeah, I, I don't know when I learned that he he also in one of his songs, I'm pretty sure he yeah, he, he like does. references like throwing up the L or something like that. He he's all about it. As soon as they won, I looked back and found a couple song lyrics that were tweeted out. I was like, oh, yeah. okay, Louisville. What else should we know about the Cardinals, do you think, just overall? Um, yeah, I think – well, I think they, they bear some striking similarities to, I think, Pitt's, uh, Pitt's ACC championship team a couple years ago. Um, I, I think about – you know, they've got a true number one receiver. They've got a, a veteran quarterback who knows how to take care of the ball. They're different in, you know, this is the first year of – Jeff Rahm's uh, tenure at Louisville, he brought in a ton of transfers. It's not, you know, guys that were developed through the program, so it's different from Pitt in that way. But uh, it's a lot of experience. Um, they lean on that that pass rush on defense to kind of create some havoc, and then the secondary benefits from that. Um, you know, the speed on offense is another thing. They move pretty quickly. Um, it's they're also very balanced. Um, they are they have a. a excuse me, Plummer is able to really throw the ball, but they also have the ACC's leading rusher in Jordan as well. So they can hurt you in a lot of different ways. It's going to take a lot to make this team one dimensional in a way that can help you win, you know, like, okay, you take, you want to take away Jack Plummer's ability to pass and throw downfield to Jamari thrash. That's fine. We'll just run it with the ACC's leading rusher and we'll, we'll rip off some 20 yard runs and, 75 yard touchdowns or whatever on you. Um, Oh, okay. You want to take away the run game. You want to just sit on Jordan and make sure he can't do anything. Well, we can roll him out of the backfield, throw him some swing passes and he'll, he'll run up the sideline on you. Or 
again, we can throw it deep to thrash and they have some other talented receivers as well. Uh, you know, uh, Ke- uh, Kevin Coleman, Jimmy Callaway, those guys can, can really catch the ball as well. It's thrash is the best receiver, but they're deep and they've got some other options as well. So yeah, I think the balance is one of the biggest things I take away from, from checking these guys out just in terms of what they've done throughout this season is that it is going to take a pretty complete defensive effort from Pitt to, to stop these guys. It's not, there aren't a ton of weaknesses quite honestly on offense and there's not a whole lot that they can't do offensively. You know, Um, if you don't, if you're not sound in kind of every level of your defense, it's going to be a long night. So Pitt is seven and a half point underdogs. I think they cover because it's seven and a half. If it was six and a half, I wouldn't feel as great about it. Probably a seven point Louisville win is my prediction. What do you think will happen in the game? Yeah. So I think you look at Louisville's resume and they have been, they've been surviving games more than they've been dominating games. You know, that, that Notre Dame game is a little bit of an outlier. Uh, You think about their season opener against Georgia tech. They played an Indiana team. That's really bad. uh, Pretty close. Uh, I believe in week two at a neutral site. So I think Pitt has a chance to hang around in this game. And quite honestly, you know, after vase week, uh, after all that's been kind of going around on around this program, I feel like there's a good chance that that Pitt kind of hangs around for a while and, you know, makes this a a much closer game than I think many people expect. Uh, Because like I said, Louisville has not been dominant. They've They've been remarkable, I would say. It's it's there's a distinction there between, you know, winning and being undefeated without necessarily dominating people. So my gut says this is a this is a two score Louisville win, you know, cut and dry. Like there's there's really no reason why the Cardinals should lose this game, but you know, the resume is not is not perfect. So I, I kind of do expect Pitt to hang around a little bit. That said, I still think it's it's probably a 10-point win for Louisville. I think they're able to put up 30 points or, or more. And I think Pitt might be able to score on these guys a little bit. I, I think they'll be able to break some big plays. I think they'll get some smart quarterback play. And they'll look – we'll see some improvements without you know necessarily getting a win on the field. Hopefully the motivational vase can do its uh, task and be able to motivate the Panthers with a lot of positive themes and positive ideas. and. Mm whatnot that comes with the vase to be able to propel towards a good game in this one. Steven, where can everybody find you on socials? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Steven E. Tom, uh, or you can uh, find me at, at Inside Pit. That's where I post all my all our stuff from Inside the Panthers. Um, or you can just uh, you know follow our writing on InsideThePanthers.com. Steven, really appreciate your time, man. Thanks for having me. It's the Panthers against the Louisville Cardinals. 6.30 kickoff, Ackershire Stadium, ranked matchup. Can the Panthers break off a four-game losing streak? We'll find out. Panthers pathway.